30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Welcome to the 9 o'clock hour here at Rosie on the House. It is the open line hour where we talk about anything and everything you, the Arizona homeowner, want to talk about your house, home, castle, or cabin. Maybe you're trying to get a project done around the house and you need a second opinion or a little help taking it to the next step or you've got uh, roof work you've got from the recent rains that you need done you have a couple estimates and you want to talk through and compare them we won't make the decision for you but we'll make comparisons and tell you what uh what you're looking for in each one of those whatever it is about your house home castle or cabin it's one 767 4348 that's one triple eight rosie for you you can text to 411923, or if you need a visual aid, you can email us a picture to info at rosieonthehouse.com, I-N-F-O at rosie, R-O-S-I-E, onthehouse.com. Our featured event this week is the Empire Ranch Cowboy Festival. This is one of the just sacrifices we have to make, being every Arizona homeowner's best friend, instead of being at... The Cowboy Festival, we've got to be here in the studio, but that's okay. We're willing to make that. But if you want to see an Old West experience on the Empire Ranch that was a lot of the movie Tombstone with Kurt Russell and Doc Holliday, this is where a lot of that was filmed. It's not too far from Tombstone, but this is the open range where a lot of that ranch world was. It'd be a great experience for the entire family. It is a family event. Coming up in the third segment, our weekly to-do will have to do with maintaining your credit as November is finance month for Rosie on the house. We do a lot of projects around the house, but having the finances to own, maintain, and operate a home, pretty important part of home ownership. So it's finance month here. We just wrapped up painting month last month, and we'll go into, of course, uh, our gift ideas in November as it relates to the manufacturers here in America that contributed to our 30th anniversary toolkit. We'll spend time talking with each one of those on how the products are uh, manufactured here locally and what kind of jobs that supports. But we also have a returning guest from last week. You made your debut here at Rosie on the House as one of our paint app uh, previewers, Miss <laughs> Jen Gura. And you were with us on this tour that we took a couple weeks ago at Palo Verde Nuclear mm-hmm. Power Plant. Jill Hanks was the media coordinator, and somehow we got tied into it. You just came to me and said, Rosie asked you to fill out all this paperwork. <laughs> I need a home address, social security, driver's license number. And I'm like, what is this for? And she's like, it's for the tour nuclear power plant Rosie got us on. And it was a media tour. There was a handful of other media people. And I think very smartly, it was part of their PR campaign to educate media about how the plant works so that their hopes is as Proposition 127 comes to you know, comes close to poll voting that, you know, we educate our listeners about the, how it works and everything, but I'm not really taking that angle. Just the overall impression of the plant is all I want to talk about today. What were you expecting when you pulled up? I I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, you know, you're driving down the 10 on your way to California and you see some you know, billowing clouds out in the distance, you you know, it's Palo Verde, but when you drive up to it, it's just so much bigger than a picture could do it justice. And the, where it's physically located, it's got these small little terrains that really camouflage it. You can see it from 10. And like you said, you see the smoke rising, but as you're driving, 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 
you're thinking, where is this? It's getting close. It's getting close. And you just come around this little curve, and there's just this small little hill, and then all of a sudden, it's right there. And like you said, absolutely massive. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you see the, the, the huge reactor domes. You see the billowing clouds of steam. Um, you know, you could, you could tell right away that one of the reactors was shut down because one of the three was not billowing clouds of steam that morning. And so I knew that's where we were headed. And one of the interesting things is that isn't steam. When they sat us down in the conference room and gave us a preview before we started touring the plant, they said, that's not steam you're seeing because you could run your hand over it. You, steam is what they use to pipe into the turbine to right. start spinning the right. wheel and generating electricity. <laughs> that's just the effect of the chilling towers yep. where they're cooling all the water that they use to steam. Yep. So it's actually water cooling water, but they said it's not steam. I, I missed what vapor, other term. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep, that's right. I mean, oh, man, there was, there was so much info thrown at me that day. I knew halfway through the tour, I was thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to remember as much as I want to from this. <laughs> I wish I could have recorded the whole thing. What were key takeaway points, though? And, and there is no way. It would take months of repeat tours to really get a complete grasp on it. What were your top takeaways, though, walking away from there? I, it was. Uh, it seemed like a flawless operation. There's so much going on there. I mean, there's thousands of employees, yet there was nobody just standing around. Everybody was moving with purpose. Everything had a place. Everything was in it. It was, it was a very thorough operation. Um, we learned so much, you know, just about, about the plant itself, like the fact that um, it's actually owned by six different uh, companies, six different uh, power companies across four different states. That was very interesting. I had no idea, one of which included SRP. You never hear SRP tied to the nuclear power plant, but they are. And one reason I think that it's in their interest to keep it running is nuclear power plant doesn't fuel itself. Right. It needs utilities to turn on all the machines to generate the nuclear reaction to start all of this happening. So it it buys electricity to run its business just <laughs> like every other business or homeowner. They buy electricity to manage their life. Palo Verde, it has to come back from hydro, coal, or gas. Some combustion that generates, you know, the steam that heats the water that spins the turbine. They're just doing it with nuclear. But they have to buy that energy because they're doing it with electricity to start making this nuclear reaction happen. <laughs> right, yeah. So Palo Verde's just dependent on the grid as every other business and home out there. Right, they've got to flick the light switch on every day too. <laughs> what percent of the energy would you think is nuclear? We've got nuclear, coal, gas, the big three. What part piece of the pie does nuclear peak? When walking in there, I thought it was going to be uh, quite a bit. I just off the top of my head, I thought maybe maybe forty percent, but actually we learned it's really twenty percent. Um, and uh, as of uh, the study in uh, twenty seventeen, uh, it was uh, twenty percent of the the net utility generation, uh, whereas uh, the rest was made up of you know th like you said things like natural gas and coal and, and hydro and wind. Um, and natural gas coming up second with 32% I was definitely not something I expected. I think the reason we take that for granted is in Arizona, it's the biggest nuclear power plant in the country. We're so close to it. We just assume that that's the rest 
of the way the country is if you've never lived anywhere else. But you go back to other parts of the country and the Appalachians were they're mining the coal or up in Wyoming or where natural gas is being produced. That's the predominant source or where there's more water and there's more hydro out here. It powers four million homes. This is the majority of the population. Right, exactly. And, you know, uh, the interesting interesting thing about that as well is, you know, we're in the middle of the desert. So, you know, how do you how do you cool that big thing? We're actually the uh, Palo Verde is the uh, the only uh, nuclear power plant that isn't on a large body of water. We're in the middle of the desert. That's a lot of water they need. <laughs> so where does that come from? Well pumps? Are they on the CAP? Yeah, so um, the water, um, it, you know, they, they still need that cooling, and, and the facility actually um, evaporates uh, water from treated sewage and, and nearby, from the nearby municipalities. It's all Phoenix waste <laughs> water. Yep. It is pumped 22 miles to the power plant. It's treated. Mm-hmm. Then it's put in these big reservoir ponds that w- will last uh, over three weeks. Mm-hmm. So if... For whatever reason, there was a break in the pipeline from the waste treatment to Palo Verde. They've got enough water for three weeks where they could be trucking in, shipping in. You know, the the amount of redundant backups is really, I'm jumping ahead, but the backup to the backup to the backup to the backup mm-hmm. was phenomenal. From those ponds that they're storing these billions of gallons with, you know, they then bring it in. They reuse the water 15 times before it goes to their evaporation ponds on the south side of the plant. I can't reuse water twice in my house. They were using it 15 times. When you talk about efficiency, that's that's efficiency. Yeah, they're definitely they're they're making making the most out of it. Like, you know, it's it's wastewater, so it's fantastic. You know, it's not like they're using fresh water or or using water that could be used for other resources. It's you know, it's all water nobody wanted in the end anyway. Now, how many people could say they've been in the belly of the beast? Not many. <laughs> we got to go into the belly of the beast. So there's three individual generation stations at Palo Verde. And you can look on Google Maps and see this. And each one of the three is independent of its of the other one. Mm-hmm. And once every 18 months, they shut one down for about a month. And it's about this time, uh, spring, fall, where the demand isn't what they need for the summertime. And they refuel it with the uranium that generates the nuclear reaction. So we got to go in while they were doing the annual maintenance and refueling their pods. And they put us in this uh, little office building, and they're putting all these this different gear on us. We've got a bodysuit we have to put on. We have rubber we have to put around our feet. We've got rubber we put around our hands. We've got these... Uh, head bonnet, bandanas we've got to put on, and they left our face completely exposed. I don't know about you, but right there, I was feeling very Harry Dunn. Right. She grabbed me down the lobby and explained what was up, and then they slapped this bulletproof vest on me and gave me a gun. But what if he shot you in the face? What if he shot me in the face? That's a risk we were willing to take. <laughs> we've got all this protection and our face is open. And they're like, you can't scratch your nose if you itch with your hand you can't rub the side of you know your shirt you, you can't touch your face anywhere but yet they let you walk in there with a camera and put the camera up to your face snapping pictures i just thought <laughs> it, it all is this all just for show right the the amount they actually said that the amount of radiation you get 
if we were walking in there like we were, you'd get more if you were flying internationally, or you'd get more exposure to radiation if you were, you know, up in Flagstaff. And I mean, yeah, gloves on my hands, and and I had gloves to put on my gloves. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and that's exactly why it really was just kind of for show because the minimal amount of radiation compared to the rest of the radiation we get in our daily life a fraction <laughs> exactly all right we've got a couple more takeaways from our tour at palo verde nuclear power plant and your calls right after this 1.21 gigawatts tom how am i going to generate that kind of power nuclear science i love my classes the future's so bright i gotta continue our conversation about our tour at the Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant. We have our office manager, Jen Gura, in with us talking about our experience out there. I don't know about you, but the whole time I felt this industry feels a lot like air travel. Yeah, it was funny. that I mean, there was an acronym for everything you did. I mean, as you're going along, it was, you know... RCAs, CAs, RPs, PWPs, SRDs, EPZs. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, you would have to spend, you know, do a whole semester of schooling just to learn the acronyms. But yeah, just the there were just buttons and knobs for everything everywhere, and it it was fantastic. Into the belly of the beast, you know, it had this big steel door, like you feel like you're walking into a shuttle getting ready to take off. You go into the control center at the end of the tour where they monitor all the systems. That felt like an air traffic control room. Uh, We got a tour a couple years ago out and got to go up in the tower at Luke Air Force Base. And this setup and the controls and all felt very similar. Yeah, having gone through the the air traffic management uh, degree program at ASU, I mean, I agree, it does. It felt like that. It felt like going through, sitting there at the simulators, there's just, there was a lot going on. They simulated a bad scenario for us so we could hear what the alarm system sounds like. And as yeah. it continues mm-hmm. to elevate, the alarms increase. And we've got an audio recording of that we'll play. But you know, the funny thing about all those alarms is it's not like a 007 or a Spaceballs or a Dr. Evil type scenario where when it gets to zero, the whole thing's going to blow up. What happens, the system is designed to shut itself off. So instead of this big kaboom at the end, <laughs> it, it's a boom. Slow, you know, shutdown, slow, very controlled shutdown, not a catastrophe that ruins lives. <laughs> well, and what happens at that shutdown is then the diesel generators kick in, and they've got enough fuel there, hundreds of thousands of gallons, that would then just kick on and take over the system while they fixed whatever made it shut down. And they've got enough fuel there that that lasts for weeks. There's not a lot of problems with their redundancies. They couldn't name one that they couldn't resolve in a couple weeks' time where they would ever run out of diesel gas. So it Again, just the backups to the backups to the backups is phenomenal. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like you said, backups to the backups. I mean, they, everything. They had scenarios. We even asked them, like, worst-case scenarios. They, they said they've been through them all, and they've even started going through, you know, hypothetical, this isn't even physically possible, but just in case aliens invaded, this is what we'd do. <laughs> it's on 6.5 acres. It generates 32 million megawatts to 
generate that type of electricity with solar have to be done while the sun's shining, which is half the day. It's still a good good portion mm -hmm. of time, but it doesn't compensate for the peak use, which is late evenings when everyone's getting home. And the amount of land mass you would need to generate that with solar is about the size of Phoenix, Scottsdale combined. So you would just talk about solar fields for hundreds of square miles. And even if you did that, you put a solar rooftop on the top of every home in Phoenix and Scottsdale, you're nowhere near the amount of solar panels you would need because look at all the space between our homes, the easements, the roadways, parks, businesses, parking lots. Mm -hmm. I mean, every square inch of that would have to be covered to compensate for it. And the amount of waste, nuclear waste that's stored there on site in these large concrete pillars that are insulated with helium for to keep it dry. Mm -hmm. One person in Arizona living a full average life of 70 years old, the amount of nuclear waste that's generated for that one person is equivalent to equivalent to a soda can. <laughs> I think I think I could live with that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right, Jen Guru, thank you for uh, joining us on tour, helping making it happen, and uh, sharing some of your thoughts about the feedback to Palo Verde Nuclear Power Plant. We put together a blog for that as well. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com. It's not on the homepage because it's not a featured of our content. It's just an additional blog. Uh, so just click on the blog, and it's the second posting there. They've got uh, a diagram there that we took from inside the control center that shows a very Reader's Digest version of how it works. And the funniest part of that entire tour, and we won't name names to protect the guilty, but there was a Rosie on the House staff member that <laughs> in the beginning when the executives walked in and thank you for being here, here's what's going to happen today, one of them said, and my water heater is not heating water. Is there anybody in this room that can help me with that? And somebody from Rosie on the House. Wasn't you, wasn't me. Was We won't name names. All right. Pipes in from the back and said, you're on the wrong APS rate plan. <laughs> <laughs> to join the conversation, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text 411-923 or email info at rosieonthehouse.com. Back after this with our weekly home maintenance how-to. Continuing through our open line hour, it's the 9 o'clock hour here at Rosie on the House. Anything about your house, home, castle, or cabin you, the Arizona homeowner, want to talk about, you can join the conversation, one 767 4348 And at 9.30, new to this year, our 30th anniversary, we're following our home maintenance calendar, and we cover our weekly to-do in this third segment to keep up with the maintenance that our homes require. And... Uh, this one goes a little bit away from physical care of the home. And when we covered it yesterday and published the blog, as someone kind of teasing us like, oh, great, we're going to be getting home improvement advice from Dave Ramsey now because it's about maintaining your credit score. Well, to get in the home to begin with, you've got to have a good credit score. You've got to own the home. You've got to have that home finance. And why wouldn't we cover that from time to time? So we brought in our special guest, Galaxy Lending, Mr. Harold Perkins. Hi, Romy. 
So let's talk about best practices for your credit score because I do completely agree with the debt-free living platform, uh, but why why not live debt-free and also have a great credit score? You can have both. You don't have to have one or the other. And I get that to have a great credit score, you've got to be making payments, and but you can make payments without being in debt. <laughs> You can. And, and credit's, uh, credit's a big deal, especially when we're talking about uh, home loan financing and mortgage financing. It's one of the first things that uh, uh, that we're going to look at because your, your credit score is going to have an impact on the terms, on the overall cost of the loan. And of course, the higher your credit score is and the higher your credit rating is, then the better your terms on that loan are going to be. And your credit score is just a, a picture of your payment history during the past. And uh, using what you've done in the past and, and a score assigned to that. It's a predictor of what you're going to do in the future, and so the bank is willing to give you better terms as your score is higher. It's a little more risky as your score is lower, and so the terms aren't going to be as good. So maintaining that score is, is very important. And I don't like it as much as the next guy. You feel kind of like you're sucked into the system and like you know, you've got to play this game, but your alternative isn't good. <laughs> And a good credit score is going to save you money, and saving money is part of being debt free. <laughs> exactly, and so the the one goes the one goes hand in hand with the other, and the and the tricky part about it is the the credit score itself is also very mysterious. Not all of us know how the score works and how you get to that perfect credit score, and and uh, a lot of a lot of what you're looking at is counterintuitive to what you would think as far as having a better score. Just as an example, the uh, you know your credit your credit cards, uh, which generally have lower balances on it than your mortgage might, your credit cards have a higher impact on your score than your than your mortgage does, and so which is very counterintuitive. You wouldn't you wouldn't think that that's the case, um, and so it it is. It's it's important. Bottom line, the most important thing is make sure you pay everything on time. That's going to be the biggest part, and then we get into how you balance your credit, how you use your credit, and then that's going to help make the score go up. One interesting point you had made when we were working on this article was that. A credit score doesn't always what you, 700 here doesn't mean 700 there. There are different models. There are different scoring systems. So we're all uh, we're all familiar with uh, Equifax and TransUnion and Experian, but even within those credit bureaus, they have different models that come up with different scores, and they work on they work on different scales. So, uh, as an example, if you if you apply for a mortgage, uh, the scoring model that we're looking at for Equifax is different than if you were applying for an auto loan. So yeah, when you head down to Sanderson and apply for the financing there. They're looking at the same bureaus, um, but on a different model. And so you can have the same person exactly and have, have uh, ha get told that you have two different credit scores. Or when you look at uh, Credit Karma, or you go online and look at an online uh, credit score service, uh, the score that they give you could be different than what you're seeing from a creditor that you go apply to. So it's, it's important also to know what model you're looking at. And that depends on the creditor. And what do you think of Credit Karma and these online free services that uh, manage? Are they decent? Oh yeah, they're, they're fine. They're perfect. Because um, you know, the most important thing is to make sure that the information on your credit 
uh, on your credit report is accurate. So setting aside the score, not that it's not important, but you want to make sure the information on the credit report is as accurate as it possibly can be. And pretty much everybody's credit report, everybody has something that's inaccurate on it. Uh, and so sometimes that can be a negative to your score, definitely. So use services like Credit Karma and that kind of thing just to monitor. Monitor what's on your credit report. Make sure that there's not, uh, and also for identity theft, make sure that there's not an account that you never heard of, that you never opened, that maybe somebody opened in your name. Uh, that can lead to collections, things that are just that just don't belong to you. So the services like that are fantastic. You can look at your credit report without having the inquiry onto your credit report. It's uh, uh, as a consumer, you have access to that. So that's something absolutely should be done. And I'll contest to that about something inaccurate on everyone's report. When I signed up for my Credit Karma account, just out of curiosity to see how it works and what it is and everything, there was a delinquent balance from a 2006 loan on a Toyota. There isn't a Romero I know of, and there's a lot of us that owns a Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but it's not like you can say, hey, this is wrong, and it goes away. You know, it, it took like, I don't know, four or five weeks for all the verification to come down to the line that, no, this is not Romy's. Take this off, clear it, and move it. Uh, off off of the report. There is a dispute process that you'll have to go through, and sometimes it's uh, it's cumbersome, uh, but in the long run, absolutely worth it because if you, especially if there were delinquent payments reporting on your report, that had a negative impact on your score. And so then when you go uh, to get financing for mortgage or auto or anything else, uh, and that score is lower, the terms on your financing are going to be affected. So a few weeks of work and hassle to, uh, to get rid of something that's inaccurate on your credit report in the long run is going to save you tons and tons of money. So it's worth it. Do it. And Getting that done now while you don't need it will only help you at the time you may need to use your credit. You know, let's – if you walked in today and I went to go buy a car and it shows this delinquent account that's not mine, well, obviously my score is going to be a lot different, so my rate's a lot different. And let's just say I needed the vehicle today because my other one was in a car BQ for whatever freak accident. You know, I'd be stuck paying that higher interest rate because of a bad credit – for something that was inaccurate. So making sure it's maintained and clean, you know, it's just the best practice because you never know what life's going to bring you. Definitely. And then even in, in our end of things, when we talk to somebody that's getting ready to purchase a home and they think that their timeline might be a few months down the road or six months down the road, we'll still encourage that person. Let's take a look at your credit. Let's go through it together. Let's see what's on there because everything we're expecting everything to be just fine, um, but what if it's not? And so now we have the time while you're preparing to purchase a home, we have the time to uh, correct any inaccuracies that might be on the credit report. And then when you are ready, the terms of your loan could be better because of it. All right, so best practices for getting to and maintaining a high score and let's well, I mean what's our what's our ultimate goal if you're gonna if you're going to uh, if you're gonna work in the perfect credit model the way this the way the scoring system has been set up uh, the scoring system wants to see you have at least uh, two credit cards uh, one of them a regular Visa MasterCard general credit card uh, it also likes to have you have a store card of some kind why uh, is that 
it's a it's a different mix of credit and so that the scoring system looks at, looks at the mix of your credit and the the diversity in your credit use and it focuses a lot on credit cards uh, the credit card usage is about 35% of your overall credit score uh, so to if your goal is to have the highest credit score possible a couple of credit cards one general one store card and then ideally you never carry a balance higher than 10% of the credit limit. Uh, we, of course, recommend now, that... Now, on carrying that, do you have to get up to 10%? Do you have to use that? Uh, you know, the visa is easy because you can put your gas on there. Right. You can put your groceries on there. But a particular store one, um, I don't know if like Fry's or Safeway or Sprouts has their own credit card. My immediate mind is Cabela's, and I, I want to make sure that, Amanda, you hear this from Harold, that he's telling me I need to go get a Cabela's credit card. How much How much do I need to put on that Cabela's card every month to maintain perfect? My goal is perfection here. Okay, a, a Cabela's <laughs> or a Target or something. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, it's you don't have to you don't have to use the card every month. You need some activity uh, occasionally, but it's not something where you have to maintain a balance. We actually encourage everybody to pay their balances off each month. Why pay interest on the card if you don't have to? So, uh, so we'll encourage you to. You want to have the activity. Uh, you want to charge the things that you would normally do. Uh, if, uh, but not overextend yourself. We're certainly not saying that you should charge up your cards. We're certainly not saying that you should extend yourself just for the sake of the credit score absolutely not pay off the balances don't pay interest it's just having the activity on the account is what makes your score go higher and so and and then if you as you get to a point that you are carrying balances or maybe there's an emergency and so you're not able to pay it off then your goal is to just keep the balance as low as possible relative to the credit limit uh, and then if you have to carry that balance just work towards paying it down as quickly as you can and like you said a 10 percent on a daily app you know, month in, month out, year over year. Pretty easy math. Ten thousand dollar limit. Don't go over a thousand dollars on your card for that ideal uh, that ideal score. But uh, if you do have a ten thousand dollar limit and you've got to put, let's say, eight thousand for a roof on there, that's probably a lot easier. You know, when the roof's leaking, you're gonna fix it. Yeah. <laughs> when when the plumbing's leaking, you're gonna fix it. And a lot of construction uh, service companies take credit cards now it nobody took credit cards when i started this in the 90s that was the a foreign thing that it, to to do a credit card but it's there's hardly any that don't accept one now and you know you're stuck in that situation where i need this now the roof is leaking i need to fix the roof i've got all this equity but it's not like I can just go pull that equity out like I can just swipe a credit card. Right. And so it is. If, if we were going to uh, do a, a home equity loan or refinance to cash out some of the equity in the, in the property, uh, that process is going to take longer than you have to fix, the, to fix the roof. And so if it is something where you need in an emergency like that, that's what credit cards are for. It's, a, it's for an emergency. And so uh, then your goal at that point is to, to work towards bringing that balance down 
as quickly as you can. Uh, that initial charge on the card is going to have a negative impact on your credit score because now we're talking about, in that example, a credit card balance that's 80% of your credit limit. And so, and that's going to be looked at as a negative from the scoring model. Um, but then as the balance comes down, the credit score will go up and it, and it recovers pretty quickly. Um, it, it does when the, it, it's always just a picture of what's happening at that time. So if one month there's an $8,000 balance on the card, the score is going to be a little bit lower. The next month you've got it down to $1,000, the score is going to go up immediately. And freak things happen. Arizona, October, biggest rain month ever recorded. If you didn't fix that roof, four to six inches, depending on where you're on the state of water, wouldn't have entered your home through that penetration. We just had a ton of rain. And so... You know, unfortunately, there are people that were stuck, uh, you know, scrambling to figure out how to fix that just because we weren't prepared. And the point of the broadcast is to help everyone be prepared for whatever financial need. And, you know, you don't want to ever become a slave to your home, which unfortunately can't happen if you're stuck in a bad situation just because we weren't paying attention. And I decided I should have a credit card. So I filled out this application, listed all my recommendations, sent it off in the mail, and then a month or so the mailman brought me my brand new charge-off card. Better than checks, safer than money, and not near as dirty. You think the credit card company paid well, to have that song written? <laughs> oh, I'm sure they did. Charged it on his card, too. <laughs> Jim texts into 411923 from Chandler and says, hey, can you clean exhaust fans in the bathroom? And if so, what method is best? And it's interesting that he asked specifically for that. I've never received that question before, but it's actually one of our annual home maintenance how-tos that we programmed into our app through rosieonthehouse.com home Zada. It's a computer system that allows you to track and maintain the maintenance on your home. You can assign tasks. There's a link back to Rosie on the House content that tells you how to do it. Uh, bathroom exhaust fans are pretty easy. They're spring mounts that usually clip it in. Pull it down, vacuum it out, run a hose over it. Uh, while it's down, you can even suck out the inside of uh, what you see there on the metal parts. And you can also assign different tasks to different family members and track what's done and undone. And uh, just one of the great tools and features that we found that we help uh, bring to the Arizona homeowners an effort to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend. If we can live in a home, maintain a home, uh, kind of like the our credit conversation last time is keeping it well maintained. It gives you more options. Same thing with our homes. If we live in it as if uh, we were going to put it on the market tomorrow, it it's cleaner, <laughs> it's up to date, and at the point you may need to move, even if you never ever planned on moving, life happens. Uh, you're ready to go. It would be, you, know, you don't want to be in a situation where un some unforeseen circumstance forces you to move uh, across the town for a family member, out of state, and you end up settling less for what your home would be worth if it was up to date and, main, and the maintenance and improvement tasks just because of the time circumstances that life brings you and you lose out on a lot of equity that you would have otherwise had just keeping up with a little maintenance and it's so overwhelming getting started but the great thing about this tool is it's one task at a time 
You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you maintain your home? One task at a time. And you just do a task a week or two tasks a week and then the next week. And it just helps you keep everything moving and, and up to date and helps you think of things you never would have thought of that uh, you only find when uh, you're figuring out something because of some disaster, like something rolls behind the refrigerator. If you've never pulled out your refrigerator and cleaned the coils, you may lose your breakfast depending on the time of day that you, this happens to you. So that's one great tool. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com. And our weekly how-tos uh, we cover in the third hour. Credit wasn't really applied to that, but you could put that task in there to remind yourself down the road, hey, check out my credit score and get started on that, assign tasks, and everyone gets notifications. You can synchronize that with your calendar so you get notifications on your phone. Reminder, this is still a pending task. One of the new features that uh, you can find if you search for a contractor, if you're trying to solve something on your house, home, castle, or cabin, is something called Fiberglass Vegas by Saw Design. This uh, gentleman in Tucson, Mr. Stephen Williams, he has been wanting to get on the network for a lot of years. This is a great story because it's such a new service. It took a long time for the register to figure out how we're going to license it. Is it going to require a license? Are we doing work on the home? What product so and you have to be in business for five years to join Rosie on the house so there's been a a lot of behind the scenes development to bringing fiberglass vegas llc onto the network serving southern arizona if you live in a home where you have exposed wood you know santa fe homes where you've got the wood poles that really in modern building are just decorative well that wood rots nobody uh it, it has always blown my mind people would do that just because of how bad wood rots. Why would you put something on your home that creates maintenance? Well, these Vega tails, they make a fiberglass Vega that slides over your existing wood one so that it camouflages the blistered, beat up, bruised wood that's just rotting out there that you would otherwise have to constantly be oiling and maintaining. And it looks just like wood. He's done a fabulous job perfecting his systems and making these fiberglass moldings that they hide all the imperfections. And it doesn't just apply to the Vega tail. If you've got a wood header over a window, a lot of our back patios have exposed wood Vega poles. You can He can wrap those. Whatever exterior exposed wood you're fighting, I've facias. Uh, we'll, we'll get Stephen on to talk about um, that application, but any anything else he has he's been able to find a solution for all of it so we're excited you can find him we've put him in a couple places just because it's such a new industry we put him in siding uh the, the category is vega tails but i mean who's going to know what that is that's such a new one so you can find him in a couple different places under our certified partner pro uh contractor search engine if you are sitting there looking at rotten wood on the exterior of your home that's part of your home there's a great solution for you.